Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, Happy New Year. It's, it's January 1st, 2015. Um, we're not in today, it's New Year's Day, but we have a couple of segments. Yeah, we're, we're going to be uh, replaying a, a couple that had uh, that our, our listeners really, really enjoyed. Um, State of the Industry, Jim, you had a, a big part of that one, um, and that's from back in July. So uh, I know a great way to, to kick off uh, the new year. And one that really interests me, Steve DeMillionaire, a friend of ours who lives in Bali, Indonesia, he's going to be talking about Bitcoin, uh, explaining Bitcoin, the background of it, and what happened to all those Bitcoin that disappeared earlier this year. Could you explain Bitcoin from, uh, from, from the basics to, uh, to where we are today? Sure. Um, well, actually, can I start with what do you not understand about Bitcoin? Is it the cryptographic element that's uh, confusing you, or is it the whole thing in general? You know, it's the whole <laughs> thing in general. How a currency that doesn't seem to be supported by a gross domestic product or by a uh, central bank can hold value. That's that. That's that's right. where my brain just fries that's out. The, right. That's the philosophy part. But maybe we'll start with the technical part. Please. Um, you you start by opening a wallet. Uh, you usually do this online through a payments provider. Uh, for example, Coinbase or BitPay or Blockchain.info. Uh, there are a bunch of other wallets out there as well too that are online. Um, you can then connect those accounts to a mobile device like uh, your iPhone, iPad, Android phone, so on. Although Mac has been a little bit resistant to having wallets on their platforms, but I think that will change in the future. But when once you have a wallet, then you're able to move money between your wallet to another person's wallet. Um, you stock up your wallet by purchasing Bitcoin or by earning it from somebody else. So you purchase it from, a, from say, for example, Coinbase or another one by connecting your bank account to it, and then you can start making payments to other people using that, using that uh, device. Okay. That's the basic technology of it. Um, where it starts to get interesting is in how we're able to move money between us without having to have a third party recognize the transaction. And that's where we really get into the deep technology behind uh, the Bitcoin system. Okay, well, if I can stop you there for a second, you can move money from wallet to wallet without having a central authority recognize the transaction. How does the Bitcoin system understand the value of a Bitcoin? Oh, the value of a Bitcoin is determined by the price that people will pay through these exchanges. So that's why the price goes up and down just like you would see a stock do the same thing. Okay. So, uh, that's just the price that people are willing to pay for a Bitcoin. And right now it's about 570 as I last checked. So 570 American dollars to one Bitcoin. That's right. That's okay. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From, up from about 30 cents a Bitcoin in early 2011. About three and a half years ago, Bitcoin was worth, say, 37 cents, one Bitcoin to the American dollar. Now it's worth over 500 to the American mm-hmm. dollar. It's more successful than Google stocks. How did this happen in just a couple of years? Uh, this happened really simply. It's just word of mouth. Uh, people began to 
purchase the currency, uh, exchange it with other people. They began to trust it, uh, be able to buy things that they wanted with it. And next thing you knew, uh, two friends told two friends and so on and so on, and it became uh, a snowball. Are you at all worried about their the potentiality of a Bitcoin bubble? Oh, definitely. That's what a lot of people are talking about. Um, although it is a deflationary currency, so technically speaking, the uh, value of Bitcoin should continue to rise or in a general way over time until it's mathematically determined to run out in about 20, 2140. Okay. Uh, AD, <laughs> but um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's on a, a upward incline to to becoming hundreds of thousands of dollars per Bitcoin and say maybe twenty or thirty years. Um, you know, there has it did rise up to fourteen hundred dollars and then uh, crash back down again after the Mount Gox collapse. Well, I, I wanted to get to Mount Gox. Mount Gox was uh, a wallet. Of sorts, it was uh, probably the best known in the world, one of the one of the most well stocked wallets, and then suddenly it was gone. What was, what happened there? Well, actually, it was an exchange. Um, there are many, many; it had many, many wallets in it. Oh, in this okay. Exchange, and it was managing for people, and people could store their bitcoins there. They could also purchase bitcoins, uh, exchange them with other other people, and so on. Um, what happened is still the subject, I think, of a lot of. Um, questioning by people and uh, the regulators that are also looking into its collapse as well, too, and the mysterious disappearance of money and the mysterious reappearance of, of bitcoins and various wallets and so on. So um, I, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, you know, at the liberty to to just give a random opinion, my personal random opinion about it, but it just seems like things went on behind closed doors, and uh, it's, so it's really hard to know about uh, what kinds of things went on exactly. Was it a hack or was it something more internal? But the owners of the company um, are stand-up people, you know, reputable people. Uh, they're not shady characters. So uh, I generally tend to think that uh, it was a major hack from within. Now, I th something that, I, that, that confused me, and I, I'm pretty sure confuses a number of other people who follow Bitcoin. Now, Every Bitcoin has a electron, an encrypted um, signature, an identifier to it, correct? Yes, that's right. So every Bitcoin can technically be accounted for somehow because it, it's got an identifier attached to it. That's right, yeah. Whatever, all that money that disappeared is in an account that can be identified on the blockchain. Okay, so that's sort of like stealing, going to the bank and stealing every bundle of bills that has a red die package attached to it. Yes, uh, sort of, except that uh, you don't know who has that account. Okay. And you can't, you cannot access the money that's in that account. You can know what the public key is, uh, sorry, what the public address is, but you don't know what the private key is, so you can't go and say, no, I'm going to take it back. But what if this person tries to spend it? Uh, if... Well, then they can start trying to track where that person is, and that's how they've found other people before. Like in, with, when uh, the U.S. government shut down Silk Road, they started tracking uh, accounts on the on the blockchain, and uh, eventually we were able to locate the people involved uh, in trading in Silk Road. Okay, so so, so it can be done, um, but that a lot of mistakes were made with uh, people by people uh, using the Silk Road market which maybe the person who, who's holding all these Bitcoins from Mt. Gox is able to, will be smarter about it, and will move it into multiple accounts and in small volumes over time and things like that and start to dissipate it. 
so it, into smaller wallets. It it almost strikes me more as the the banality of art theft. You know, where you where you go and you steal a Renoir. And now you got a Renoir and you can't do anything with it because everyone's looking for this one identifiable painting. Um, I imagine it's the same thing with uh, with these stolen bitcoins. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they might be able to eventually track the person down, or they'll just hold on to them for a very long time until the till the cloud passes, and and uh, and then try and do something bigger with them. Okay. Now, earlier you said you can either purchase bitcoins or you can earn bitcoins, and and, and I got to tell you, this is something that's that's kind of confused me. It's made me think of Bitcoin much like, say, gold as a commodity rather than a currency. How far off base am I thinking that way? Oh, not at all. I, I definitely think uh, Bitcoin is primarily a commodity, and I, I think the uh, the authorities in most governments are saying exactly the same thing, um, that it's a commodity first and a currency second. Okay. Um, does uh, the fact that it's, that it's accepted as a means of exchange by a growing number of, uh, of entities, both on the web and in the real world, does that sort of change the... Uh, the perception of Bitcoin again. I have a hard time stepping away from my idea that this is a commodity to be to be mined to be and then to be traded. Um, yeah. But again, it's it's being accepted as a means of exchange. Now we don't walk around with like ounces of gold in our pocket, right? Or well, shares in Microsoft and uh, asking you know if you could buy a cup of coffee for a one millionth of your share or something like that. Oh, you, you know what? You can only get a cup of coffee for a share in Yahoo these days, and it's a pretty crappy <laughs> cup of coffee, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> sorry, Yahoo, you just, but you earned it. Um, how, do you, how, do you earn, how do you earn Bitcoins? What's the process? Oh, just like any other business, like any business does. You, you offer it, you have a wallet, so when a customer comes that has Bitcoins and the ability to make payment to you, you um, give them your public address and they can send you uh, Bitcoin directly. We, our business in Bali, uh, which is a language school, uh, uh, accepts Bitcoin and that's what we do with our students. And we do have students from overseas, especially America, who would rather purchase uh, our language courses using Bitcoin than PayPal. It's uh, the price difference can be huge. You mean you, 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 there's actually a savings using Bitcoin over um, more traditional means of payment, uh, as you mentioned, PayPal or credit card? Or so by by cutting out the middleman, uh, the banks, the payment processors, and such. Uh, Bitcoin can save someone making an international transfer a great deal of money. For example, if you're transferring a million dollars from America to Indonesia, you're going to pay four uh, percent plus uh, forty cents a transaction plus a very bad exchange rate using PayPal. Very uh, an exchange rate that's worse than than the cash kiosks here in the on the street corner in in Kuta and Bali. Okay. Um, if you do Western Union, they'll take twenty five percent of it. You know, they'll take two hundred and fifty grand for sending that million dollars over, something like that, right? But at the same time, um, but, but with but with Bitcoin, you'll be only be paying forty cents to complete that transaction, something like that. You could pay a little bit more to make sure it arrives more quickly, but uh, you'd be paying, yeah, right around fifty fifty U.S. cents. But at the same time, Stephen, if I'm transferring a million dollars from Los Angeles to uh, to Bangalore. The American government is quite interested that I'm transferring a million dollars. Similarly, if I'm transferring a million dollars from, say, Toronto to Lahore, Pakistan, 
the Canadian government is extremely interested in the tra transit of that money, but they wouldn't know about the Bitcoin. They wouldn't know that it has transferred a million dollars in Bitcoin. And, I, and as I understand it, the governments have a problem with that. Uh, they, they, they do and they don't. Uh, they're still kind of touchy-feely with how this is all working. And uh, very large transactions uh, at the international level have already been taking place. For example, even here in Bali, uh, someone purchased a 600,000 US dollar villa using bitcoins. Completely. <laughs> Lock, stock and barrel. And uh, I don't know which country it originated from, uh, not necessarily from America, but um, that was a very large, very large purchase. And it only cost him 50 cents to make the transfer. It's great. Okay, well, listen, I think that's wonderful. I really do. And believe me, I'm, in many ways, I like the idea of cutting out the rapacious middleman. Uh, but I am, you know, very concerned about security and money laundering and, um, you know, making sure that people who follow the rules are able to succeed while people who violate the rules get punished for it. And this is one of the things that, that, that uh, I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their heads around. Let's say that the purchase of that house in Valley, that $600,000 villa, which, wow, that sounds wonderful. Whoever got that is uh, a very lucky person. Um, let's say it originated in Los Angeles. Wouldn't the IRS be quite interested in that? And shouldn't the IRS be interested in that? Uh, I think that they might be doing their own investigation into how that much money ended up into that account. And through blockchain.info, you can... Uh, track a lot of that information and track movements from from address to address or wallet to wallet, okay. right? Um, but what if that person, for example, there's the, the famous story of the pizza purchase where some half million dollars, if I'm not mistaken, in Bitcoin was, was uh, paid to purchase a pizza many years ago and Bitcoin was basically worthless and nobody knew anything about it. It was basically just a joke. It was like, oh, could, you know, I don't have any cash right now. Can I give you some Bitcoin? And and that's now worth, you know, about as much as the about as much money as, as was paid for that villa. So uh, quite a number of people were able to acquire Bitcoin at at pennies on pennies per Bitcoin rather than the hundreds of dollars per Bitcoin that it's worth today. So it's not always easy for the for the IRS to say, well, you know. You can't do that. It's a capital gain. Well, yeah, but, but I sold the guy a pizza. What kind of capital gain do you get on selling a pizza? It's <laughs> yeah. amazing. And how, and how do you report it? So that brings me to another question. And, and I, I think that's a wonderful example. How could Bitcoin cause, for want of a better word, wonks in our understanding of the value of money? How does Bitcoin alter our understanding of the value of money? That's a very good question. I mean, that's that's the that's what everyone who's looking at Bitcoin is trying to uh, answer as well for themselves, because it's causing each of us to uh, re you know to raise those questions, to to question our own attitudes about money and what does it mean for us to have money and to be working for money so hard, or or how does it come so easily for some people? Um, it's it's just not an easy question at all to answer, is it? Well, you know, um, there, there was, there's uh, there's the old debate on you know whether it's luck or whether it's hard work or is luck simply applied hard work, um, and you know many people get very lucky because they know when they know when to jump and what to jump on at exactly the right time, while others others don't, and that's just, I mean that it works that way in the traditional economy or in this new um, electronic economy. 
Um, and, you know, I imagine folks like you or the person who sold that pizza, that $600,000 pizza, which was, you know, a $12 pizza several years ago. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of knowing what to look for when. Would that be correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think that's that's just like anything. One yeah, of- but I but I didn't uh, get into Bitcoin, even though I've been following complementary currencies for 25 years. I uh, overlooked Bitcoin. I didn't think it was really going to go anywhere because it's not really community based. And uh, but that was also Bitcoin's strength. They didn't consider that they needed to have a community support it. They just put it out there, uh, found some some wealthy backers to jump in on it, and and sold it that way as a you know first in investment. And like the Winklevoss twins and such, mm-hmm. found a few people like that, and and Bitcoin was off to the races after that. Well, let me ask you this then: You originally, you're an economist, a political economist. You originally looked at Bitcoin and said, "Wow, this isn't community oriented. I don't think it has a future." But then something changed. Something shifted. What changed your opinion about Bitcoin? Uh, what changed my ability or my opinion about Bitcoin was the ability of the currency to to go internationally and uh, you know go between local areas. It can go all around the world, so it connects us um, in in many different ways that the internet can't you know wasn't able to do until Bitcoin came along. Right, peer to peer was still in its infancy. Well, it really is still in its infancy, isn't indeed, it? Indeed. And uh, so that's. Yeah, that's that's where it, it really comes. It came in and and changed my mind about it, but I still really do see it as a commodity, or uh, mainly, and as a currency for large scale purposes. And that's because you generally need to have a pretty high um, balance in your account before the payment processor will will transfer, will convert bitcoins back into national currency and send it to your bank account. So for some businesses that need to be able to, you know, that are running. Uh, tighter margins, they want to be able to convert their Bitcoins out quite quickly and they need, for example, with BitPay they have to have at least a thousand dollar balance to be able to do that, so if, that's a lot of coffees, you know, and if you need to be buying buying uh, beans before you can sell more coffees you're going to have to find a way to cash that out so they, they can, of course, sell Bitcoins back to people for cash, but then it just, you know, I, I think I think uh, cash money is still going to be around for a long time, and it's not going to be wiped out by Bitcoin anytime soon. Uh, Stephen DeMoulinaire, uh, economist in Bali, uh, economist and language school owner in Central Bali, thank you so much for your time on Webcology today. We will be talking soon. My pleasure. Have a good day, everyone. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. 
Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. All-inclusive marketing is the luxurious five-star resort of digital marketing. Welcome to All-Inclusive Marketing. Engage with All-Inclusive Marketing's award-winning strategists to ramp up your online profitability and brand exposure, driving new customer acquisitions, increased sales, and stronger buyer retention. Another mojito, please? All-Inclusive Marketing's full-service digital and performance marketing accommodates every brand, specializing in retail, travel, and software as a service. What a great room. The A in all-inclusive marketing means award-winning leadership, excellence in results, as well as an A rating by the Better Business Bureau. For reach, engagement, and conversion, it's all-inclusive marketing. Reserve a free consultation today at allinclusivemarketing.com slash radio. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point click and it's live in real time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point click and it's live in real time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the host Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone. We're back. It's uh, New Year's Day. Obviously, again, we're not in the studio. We're not doing the show live. All right. Okay. Uh, Google Webmaster Central blog has uh, reported. This is really cool. Uh, Jennifer Slag also covered this in the SEM, uh, the SEM post, uh, a new magazine that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. Um, Google will now, in Webmaster Tools, Google's going to help you construct and test your robot text files. Isn't that cool? Love it. I mean, because it's one of those essential things to do that, you know, you got to know how to do it to be a good SEO, but let's face it, it's tedious. It's a crappy job writing those files. Uh, you know, uh, automated systems are great for a second set of eyes to verify what you already know kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, you should trust an automated system to build something that's crucial for your website. No, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to use this to build these files. I'm not, I don't got to write it myself. And these things are going, and they turn out compliant files. Right. I'm going to use it. But here's but I have like 15 years of writing these things by hand behind me. So me going out and just throwing my hands up and saying I'm never writing another robot text file again, thank goodness. Well, that's one thing. But a new webmaster coming in and saying, "Well, I'm never going to write a robot text file." Well, then right. you never right. know how. Um I I I think that's a that's a great great point. You know what? I I liken it a lot to WYSIWYG editor, you know, even like Dreamweaver with the, you know, design view. Um, you know, that's, that's great. I use it all the time. I can read code. Indeed. And <laughs> I, I bet you, be able to do that. I bet you you're a much faster SEO than some newer people who can't read the code. Um, 
I mean, beyond that, you already already know what to look for and such. But like, you know what I mean? I bet you you move through an analysis a lot faster because you can read the code. Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, I'll bet you do the same thing. Client calls you up out of the blue and, and you're talking to them about their site. Yeah, I pull up their site first. Within two minutes max, I'll have their code up on one of my monitors as well and looking through it. Or, you know, using Firebug to sort of look through how, uh, you know, how it's generating header tags or how it's generating classes or, you know, how much crap is, uh, you know, locked, uh, locked into the header area or something like that. So, Which, incidentally, uh, is always great here. Kids at home, this is always great fun because then you can quote stuff from their source code right back to them on the phone and it freaks them right out. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much fun. (laughs) Anyway, so check it out. Check out in in Webmaster Tools. Um, Mess around with it. And um, here's, here's a big tip. Mess around with this robot text file maker. Do stuff. Apply stuff, you know, um, like restrict access to a whole bunch of files. Don't necessarily install it. What I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is play the heck out of it so you learn how it works and learn how robot text files works and why we exclude from certain sections but allow in others, you know? Yeah. Um, and then actually that, that may be one of the best things about the robot text file maker is it could be a place for people to experiment. And that might be kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, indeed. Uh, but that's being Jay. Now, something, Jim, I, I want to make sure we cover this show. Uh, I don't think you can bring it up. Well, I, I know you can't because you're, uh, you know, you're not a braggart. Um, you, you, you published a, a great article. It uh, just came out a couple days ago. Oh, come on. You did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so you. I, so I'm going to bring it up. Um, so it's over at uh, the SEMpost.com. Wonderful article. State of the industry. Uh, you know what? Cole, Cole's notes it for us. What what are what is the state of the industry? And as your title says, how do real SEOs solve problems? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the state of the industry in 2014 is we have a terrible reputation problem. We're really good at what we do. If you're an SEO who's been practicing for several years and you're still standing today. You're probably pretty good at what you do. But um, you ain't getting no respect out there, friends. Um, You're uh, probably viewed somewhere in between snake oil salesmen and used car salesmen. Not um, Not a place for people who, you know, the SEOs I know and, 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 and spend my time with and hang out with are really dedicated to their clients and really dedicated to the craft that we're, we're practicing. I know there's a bunch of people who, and I'm, 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 I'm talking about the affiliate marketers because they tend to be doing it on their own websites and, and, you know, whatever. But there are a lot of spammers or low-talent SEOs out there. You know, um, some people who came into the industry only learning about links, not learning about all the on-page stuff, not learning about correct server hierarchy, not knowing how to write a robot text file or understanding the difference between a 301 and a 302. We have a reputation problem. And that reputation problem is one that we continue to shoot ourselves in the foot with. Another example of how we get a reputation problem, I'll use myself as, as an example, 
at a meeting um, about three weeks ago, I was introduced as an outlaw of the internet. <laughs> an outlaw. An outlaw, because that's how the person, I, I had no idea they were going to say this, but that's how the person who was introducing me to this group understood SEO. I remember a couple of years ago, I would call myself, in reference to what SEOs are, a ghost in the machine. You don't know we're there, but because of our work, your website is doing better than their website. Right. In this example, again, the outlaw of the internet or the ghost in the machine, that's because there's something really sexy about the myth of manipulative power. Right. But the thing is, we're not manipulators. It was a mistake to market ourselves that way. And we all, mar in the early days, even though, again, it was, I'd say it was relatively true to the time. And when I say early days, I mean like 2000, 2002. That's how we marketed ourselves. And it worked. Oh my God, did it work? You made a lot of money. But it was a mistake we did wrong. Because that myth is now perpetuated to a point where it's really hard to define what SEOs actually do. I mean, that and the changes in the industry, right? It's right. hard to define what we really do. So I've been thinking about this, you know, thinking about if I, you know, that, that, old, that old question, if you find yourself on an elevator with Warren Buffett or Bill Gates and you want them to invest in your company, can you explain it in 30 seconds or less? Well, increasingly, I'm finding that a lot, I'm really hard to do in the SEO world because we do so much. Right. So how do you distill all the stuff that we do into like one quick sentence? We're web quality problem solvers. That's what we do. Um, you, Dave, you've been practicing. You've been practicing longer than some of our listeners have been alive. That's <laughs> <laughs> sad, but true. Yes, wow! Yeah, that that is. Thanks. That that is sad. <laughs> but true. Now, in that time, you've probably touched or considered several hundred unique websites, maybe even thousand, I don't know. But uh, several hundred for sure, high hundreds for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. So if a website's having a problem, there's a very good chance you've come across it somewhere or another in your career. You've probably seen, uh, if not that problem, something kind of similar. Uh, earlier, when we were having technical difficulties, we were really, really, uh, we were able to really quickly diagnose what your problem might be because we've all been working with computers forever. <laughs> no. Um, so a good SEO is somebody who's seen the problem and knows what to do about it, as well as knows how to work the on-page and off-page uh, uh, factors to improve uh, search ranking. But furthermore, <laughs> furthermore, a really good SEO helps the business clarify what it does to itself and to its audience, be that audience live visitors or search engine spiders. And lastly, what SEOs do is we th these days we're like the we're kind of like the bedrock of a digital marketing campaign because everything leads back to the website. Be it a site made for mobile or a site made for desktop or a site made for both, all landing pages lead back to the domain. All advertisements have the domain on it. All AdWords lead back to the domain, etc., etc. All banner ads lead back to a domain. We are the masters of a domain. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
two Seinfeld ref- references one episode, eh? Right? Um, <laughs> um, we are. We're, this is why they call us webmasters. We're in charge of this domain. Everything gets driven back to it. We improve that space. But we're working collaboratively with people who are working the social media space, with people who are working um, traditional print, people who are working radio and television advertising. we got to be working collaboratively. We're almost like hub people around which a much larger campaign is waged, often by other people, tangential to us or to our businesses, other third parties. Being able to be the quarterback in the middle of that kind of maelstrom I really believe that's the kind of service we got to start selling. And that's how we improve the reputation of the industry. I closed the article saying I used to be a hired gun. Now I'm a quality control department. Ah, that's not a bad way to put it. Not a bad way to put it at all. Uh, and I, I assume you've, you've had to, uh, you know, probably talk clients either off, off the ledge or um, had, to, had to pull them back into the fold where you're, you know, stopping them from doing their own damage. Well, um, yeah, man. I mean, there's, there's, here's it. I don't mean to get excited about this, but I'm kind of excited about it because <laughs> this is this is Dave, and you're in this boat too. Um, that's no other way to say it but to say it out loud. We are part. We were the pi- part. Some of the pioneers in the industry. We built this. We were there at the beginning when the foundation was being poured. We were watching, and you know. There's a sense of um, ownership, I guess, and it feels really paternal, and I apologize for that, but it's there. This is an industry I help build, and I love it dearly. You know, it's kind of like um, a second family to me. It's my home. And uh, there's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of very bogus information out there. Uh, sorry, Clear Channel. I almost <laughs> got in trouble, but I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Nice um, catch. Yeah, there's a lot of terribly bogus information out there. And people are passing themselves off as skilled, knowledgeable SEOs. And again, I'd be surprised if they could write a robot text file. And it hurts. It hurts me as a business person. It hurts. It makes it harder to attract new clients. Once we got them, retaining them tends not to be a problem. But attracting them, getting them in the door, getting them to trust what we do, gets harder and harder every time somebody gets scammed. And I think the scammers get away with it because of the myth of the manipulator. SEO is much simpler than that. But it's hard to scam somebody when they understand what you're doing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you end up with, the, with, with this confusion, right? I, I've, I've pulled up SEO on, on, on Google just for, for, for a clear example. And looking at the AdWords around it, we've got, and I won't, I won't name names here, um, we've got one company saying their services are 2000 to 5000 Good call. Mm-hmm. Put your prices in there. Don't pay for a click that, uh, that, that isn't aware of what you're about to try and charge them. And then we've got ones at $99 a month. Oh, my God. Right? Like, okay, like, let's... let's See, it's funny. I think the two thousand to five thousand seems low, <laughs> and, I, and I don't think we charge too much. I don't, we're, we're, we might be high mid level, but we're still in the mid level. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. And we know the companies that charge, um, you know, substantially more, either per hour or, or per project. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I don't. You know, as long as they do a good job, I don't begrudge people whatever they. You know, at the end of the day, and I guess this is to me, this is good SEO, good internet marketing as a whole. 
Uh, did you provide good ROI for your client? Right? Uh, or do your very, very best to know what you needed to do and provide the best advice you could? Um, you know, that's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, that's what we do. You know? Now, here's the thing, and this, this is actually this is a, a weird one for us. It's getting harder to prove ROI, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, and I think that's, that's industry-wide. Um, and I really feel, as, as I'm sure you do too, the people I really feel sorry for is social media people. I mean, A, I, I do think they, in some ways, have, have a pretty fun job, some of them. Well, they're smart, <laughs> right? Um, but at the same time, I mean, is there a harder um, you know, industry to justify from an ROI? Because most of the ROI comes from other areas or just, just communications. Uh, you know, a good social media person can retain customers. Um, you know, in, in the case of, of issues and that sort of thing, um, you know, but at the same time, they didn't generate revenue. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of an example that, that I was engaged in recently where the, the company had, had done poorly. I'd gone onto social. In this case, they didn't do a good job, but I've been in other ones with hosting companies, for example, that did. And, and I remained with them through situations I, you know, mm-hmm. they could kick me off in, um, you know, and it's the social person that made them the money, but they'll never be able to actually prove the ROI there. Yeah, I know. Well, they're they're kind of in the same position we're in with a slight disadvantage. Um, we drive traffic. I can tell you how I've improved your traffic. Right. Um, unless I know how much ever how many products you sell on every page, or unless you've included me in your like you know, um, in in in, in showing the revenues on on in Google Analytics, which you probably haven't. But if you have, I can tell you. Um, you know, if I know what, what the approximate value of every page visit is, I, I can kind of come up with an ROI, but I can tell you to the number how many visits we've driven. Right. Um, so I can prove that. Same with social media. They can tell you to the number, assuming they have access to the analytics, what they've driven. Right. Um, although it gets a little bit harder um, when you get like uh, – Truncated links and a, a variety of truncated links going to the same place because um, sometimes it's not reported as coming from Twitter. It's reported as coming from some server, you know, in Long Island. Um, you know, there's there's that and, and and the side of social, for example, that isn't about the links. You know, that person that made me go, all right, I'll I'll, I'll let him give it another half an hour to get this server figured out. Right? I never was even a metric, right? Like I never. Well, but you know what? You were. You were a retention metric because <laughs> you didn't drop off. <laughs> <laughs> Valid point. Valid point. Um, this, is why I'm, this is why I do sales. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, that, that was incredibly valuable, I, you know, and, and, uh, and to the company. So that's, that's a segment I feel, you know, at least we can go, hey, your impressions are up this. Hey, your, you know, click-through rates are up this or your traffic's up this over last year from whatever Google organic or whatnot or your page views or this or that. Um, but, yeah, when all of a sudden a big part of your engagement is on a third-party site. And, yeah, you can pull some metrics, but they're never going to be as good as the metrics you have, um, you know, that you can pull off your own servers. Um, you know, it's, again, it's, it's tough. But. Again, our job is to drive traffic. That's what right. we do. We That's bring it. people to a website. Um, now, again, beyond this conversion optimization, you know, working on the website itself to, to lay it out properly. Um. But primarily, the SEO brings people to the site by making it really visible. 
On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Be safe, and we'll talk to you in 2015. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.